How's everybody doing today? And it's good to see you guys. So I apologize for the darkness over here. It's, I hope you can see to write notes or something like that, but we're, we're replacing some of the lights, so I'm sorry that it's dark, but uh, anyways, you can see me better since it's dark, right? All right. Well, it's good to see everyone today. Um, today is the, uh, the first of the month, and we, we like to, to pray over our finances uh, at the first of the month, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that in just a second. But, um, you know, here at, at Cowboy Church, we do things a little different. Um, I was just reading this week in, in 2 Kings, and um, one of the things uh, the, the priest and the, and the prophet saw during that time is that the temple was being very, it was very dilapidated because maintenance hadn't been done on the temple. And so instead of taking up an offering, the, the Lord told the, the king or, or the priest, he said, I want you to take a box. I want you to bore a hole in the top of it and set it by the doors. And everything that goes in that box is going to come and clean and repair and get the temple back in shape to the glory of God. Amen. And so that's kind of our philosophy here. It has been from the very start. I remember when we were at the hotel over in Fort Collins, when we first started the first couple of years, um, we didn't, we didn't take up an offering. We never really have special occasions. Maybe we take up an offering, but we had a box with a hole in the top of it and set it on the table. And one of our starting philosophies was, you know, you can give there. If you want to give, you want to give your tithes and offerings, you can put it in that box. And if you're needing anything, if you're, something's going on in your life, you need finances, reach in that box and get what you need. That, that, oh, it sounds real good, don't it? It sounds real holy and stuff like that. But what happened is there was a, a lady and her husband started coming to church and I said what I said. Well, she, kept, she, cleaned, she cleaned out that box. And I was like, well, maybe she needed it. You know, she's in a wheelchair and, and um, her husband was um, tending to her and things. And, and I said, well, maybe they need it, you know. Well, the next week we come in and had the box sitting there, said the same thing. They go up and they clean it out again. I mean, to the point to where, I mean, I got to pay for the room that night, the ballroom over there. So um, I'm wondering where I'm going to come up with this. And so when she cleaned it out the second time, I said, Lynette, Go, go, go talk to her, you know? And, and so Lynette did, and she, she went over and talked to her. And uh, the lady says, you know, she says, we just have a great need because um, this week we are um, getting on a bus and going up to Blackhawk, and we just really need... I changed our policy just a little bit after that, you know? So... Anyways, I hope she I hope she hit the jackpot because I never saw her again. And um, anyways, that was kind of our philosophy back then. But you know, there's there's a, a thing about what we do. We don't take up an offering. We have a box back there with a hole cut in it, and you can you can give here. You can give online. You know, we're um, uh, you go to our website and give online. But um, there's no way to get in there now and take your money. <laughs> you set off an alarm. Uh, no, I'm kidding you. Um, <laughs> so, 
anyways, you can, that's, that's how we do offering here at Cowboy Church. And, and you know what? God is faithful. God is so faithful. Um, we had a 30-year note on this building when we bought it, and um, we paid it off during COVID um, 12 years in. 12 years into this ministry, this building was paid for, and it wasn't, it wasn't paid for in a time of great wealth. It was in a time of, of nobody being able to come to church, and we were able to pay this building off, uh, and it was, it's, it's been a, a great blessing. So, uh, you know, I, I've talked to people about tithes and offerings, and some people have a, have a um, you know, I think talking about tithes and offerings in church is about like having the sex talk with your kids. You know, you just never know what's going to happen. But um, the, the, the scripture I love in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, it says that God gives us the power to get wealth. And, and, and sometimes some people say, well, I have a, you know, I'll, I'll be able to, to give, tithe, give to the church through tithes and offerings, you know, when I, when I get more wealthy. And, and God is saying, look, it's not about getting more wealthy to give your tithe and offerings. It's about being generous. We don't need an encounter of wealth. We need an encounter of generosity in our lives. And when we have that encounter of generosity and we become generous people, then the power of God, when, when we give out of our generosity, the power of God goes to work in our life to get wealth. You can't, you can't wait till you become wealthy to, to, to tithe and give offerings or you will never give offerings. So anyways, with that, I know that the, this church is a generous church and, and you all are generous people. And I know that the spirit of generosity flows in this place. But I'm, I want to pray today for more generosity. Not, not for our behalf, but for the, the, the faith, Christianity as a whole. Because we, we always say, you know, if God don't tell you to give here, if, if you don't give here, give somewhere. Take care of ministry somewhere, whether it's a ministry on TBN or, or whatever. Um, we just say, give, be obedient to give when God tells you to give. Amen. So with that, I, I want to pray over your finances. And, um, you know, if you're a giver here or you're a giver somewhere else, um, then, man, just keep it up. Keep it up. That's generosity. That's the power of generosity. Amen. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to give. Father, each week we come in here or we put ourselves in, in situations where we can be generous to people. We can be generous to you. Father, we, we share in the wealth that you have given us. So, Father, as, as we do and as we have over the last month um, given, God, I thank you for each and every heart of generosity that is represented in this place today. And God, I thank you so much for, for more. When we're obedient to hear your voice, to do what you've called us to do, to give the 10% of the tithe or, or give over and above of offerings, Father, I thank you that when we do that, you give us the power to prosper, to get wealth, and to, and to be a generous person. I thank you and I praise you for all that you do and all that you are in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You received that this morning? All right. Well, all three of you received that this morning. That's good. That's good. So I wanted to, to, to give you a little update. I, um, Lynette and I have been gone uh, for the last couple of weeks, and, and I'll tell you about that in just a second. But um, 
um, my journey in this diagnosis that the doctors give me uh, back in 2016, um, my doctor has pushed me for uh, a couple of years to have that, uh, to have the deep brain stimulation sur uh, uh, surgery done. And so I got that done through the month of September. I had two surgeries, as most of you know. And um, they, they put leads in my brain, and then they, they attached it to a generator that's in my chest. And uh, so I've been, this last month, I've been healing up from that, and, and they hadn't turned that generator on until Friday. So Friday, Friday afternoon, me and Rhett went to, to my neurologist. He hooked me up. He turned me on. And I am, I am generating. So, and, and so, so with that, I just wanted to, I kind of wanted to show you something. It, it, so, so it, it's really good. I'm, I'm, uh, man, it, it's, it's made a difference, a small difference. And they're still, they're still making changes over the next few months. I'll be going in every, about every two weeks and, they're going to be making changes and things like that. But it's funny because this first, when they turn it on at very, the very first, he said, I need, to, I need to set some parameters. I need to set your thresholds. And so, yeah. Well, my generator's working. <laughs> see, you just, got to, you just got to have a generator in, see? So, anyways, um, so they, they started testing my threshold, see how high it would go and all that kind of thing, stuff. And, and as, as he did, my face would pull back. <laughs> he said, oh, that's, that's, that's good enough. You know, and he'd turn, <laughs> he'd turn it down. And uh, so, yeah, I had a contorting face. So if you see me with contorting face, maybe I need to turn it down a little bit. But no, it's, it's been good. And, and uh, I am so happy uh, to be a, a little calmer. Um, when the trimmers, when the trimmers try to hit, you know. So, um, as I said before, Lynette and I have been out of town for the last couple of weeks. Um, Nick uh, Ford did an awesome, awesome job. And my son, Rhett Gleghorn, he did an awesome job at ministering and preaching and, and uh, giving, giving what's on the inside of him. And uh, so it, it's been really good. So if you didn't get to see those last two messages, you can go back to our website and and find those and listen to them, because some of the stuff I'm going to talk about today was inspired by those guys as they did that. Now, Lynette and I, uh, last week we went to a conference out in Columbus, Ohio, called VOA. It was uh, VOA. So I'm repping today. I'm repping for the Voice of the Apostles is what it was called. And it was a week-long conference of, of uh, great men and women of God that are um, imparting into us. And and Lynette and I received a, an impartation out there of, of just the refreshing, restoring, renewing uh, spirit of God on the inside of us. So, um, man, God is good. And that's where we were last week and, and, uh, with an organization called Global Awakening. And, man, it, it's, it was good. So I appreciate you all. You all could be anywhere today, but you chose to be here. And I think that that impartation that Lynette and I received is going to be pouring out over the next, I don't know how long. Uh, we, we went to, to VOA in, in uh, 2013, and we're still unpacking things from that, and now we got another load. 
So we're going we're gonna to unpack for you guys as we move forward. So uh, Lynette's not here today. She, her mom, had an um, uh, emergency gallbladder uh, removal surgery uh, a few nights ago. And, and so Lynette went down to take care of her and her dad. And uh, so that's where she's at. They're watching online today. So give them a hand clap. So, um, Mom, I'm glad you're feeling better. And, and uh, yeah. Good job. Um, and then our California family, I know that, uh, that uh, Alex did a good job of welcoming our California, Merced, California, Kingdom Ranch, uh, Cowboy Ministries to the, to the service today. So we, uh, we thank you for joining us as well. So with that, yes, give them a hand clap. So I want to get into this today. If, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, if you would go over to 2 Kings chapter 13. 2 Kings chapter 13. And, and as you go over there, I just kind of want to give you a little lead in here to what we're going to see. And uh, um, I, I love reading First and Second Kings and, and First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Samuel. I love those books because they, they have so much um, information about what took place in the time of the kings. Now, when, when uh, Israel became a nation, they had judges, which were usually priests and prophets, that would make the decision and the direction of the nation of Israel. After a while, you know, the, the people of Israel began to look around at the nations surrounding them and saw that they were led by kings and not priests. And so uh, they hollered out, they wanted a king, they wanted a king, they wanted a king, they wanted a king. And God said, all right, you want a king? I'll give you a king. And so um, during these times, I, I love uh, that the kings were a part of that governmental piece of Israel. That did not exclude the priests who were the religious part of that. And it didn't exclude the prophets. The, the prophets were the, were the guys that um, really walked with God and, and um, directed, helped direct the kings in their governmental things and and help the priests with their religious things. So it's kind of a in-between there. And two of the greatest, or, or one of the greatest prophets that ever walked was a man named Elijah. Anybody heard of Elijah? Uh, most of us have, have been to church. We've heard of Elijah. And so Elijah was a very um, uh, prominent, hear-from-God, God-following kind of guy. And so he... He had the anointing of, of, a, of a prophet. He had the power of a prophet, the power to pursue God, or when he pursued God, the power to download what God had for him. You know, it's like, it's like airdropping. Have you ever airdropped on your phone? You know, God would airdrop to, to Elijah, and he would, I mean, that's the voice of God. You know, that was God's representative on the earth. So we have Elijah, and at the end of Elijah's life, or, or towards the end of it, God told Elijah, he said, I want you to go and anoint Elisha in your place. So Elijah did. He went and found this guy, Elisha, anointed him to be the next prophet that would walk in his footsteps. And, and as he did that um, uh, and taught Elisha how to hear from God, there was a point that, that Elijah knew he was getting ready to go to heaven. And when he was, he told Elisha, he said, I'm getting ready to go to heaven. 
and you stepping into this ministry that I've started, what do you want from this? And Elisha said, I want a double portion of your power, of your favor with God. I want a double portion. And he said, all right. He said, here's the deal. If you're with me when I go to heaven, then you'll get that. But if you're not, you won't get it. That's easy, isn't it? If you're with me, you get it. If you don't, if you're not, you don't get it. So Elisha stayed on the heels of, of Elijah that whole time, moving into that transition where Elijah would go to heaven. The one, uh, I, as you look at Elijah's life, you'll notice he did many miracles. Um, sometimes uh, the um, scholars will say different, how many miracles that he did different. I looked at it and I saw eight miracles that Elijah did. So if Elisha gets a double portion, then he would get 16, right? Take us back to school, right? So his double portion is what he wanted. So as Elisha is going on this journey, the last miracle that he did is he took his, his coat, his mantle that, that identified him as a prophet. He took that coat off and he rolled it up and he hit the waters of the Jordan River and they parted. Just like God did for, for Moses, just like God did for Joshua, the waters parted. They crossed over on dry ground. Him and Elisha crossed over on dry ground. And when he got there on the other side, all of a sudden, Elisha looks into the heavenlies and says, My father, my father, behold the chariots of God coming to get you. And when the chariot of God come down, they took him away. He didn't, he didn't croak over dead. They didn't bury him. He went to heaven straight away. He went to heaven. And when he did, his coat fell to the ground. And he was whisked off to, to heaven. Elisha went over and picked up his coat. He rolled it up and went to the Jordan River and smacked the water. And when he did, the water parted. That was his first. Elijah's last miracle was Elisha's first miracle. And he went over and began to enter into this, into this, uh, this journey of a double, double portion of being a prophet of God. As you go through the Bible and as you look, he... Um, Elisha did twice as many. He got down to the, to the last before he died, and you can read this later on, but um, right before he died, he had 15 miracles, and he died. And they buried him, or they threw him in a, they threw his body into this hole. And as they put him in this hole and he uh, decomposed, there was another guy that, uh, in the army that had died. He had been killed in, in battle. Well, they came along, they picked him up, and they threw him in that same hole. And as soon as that guy's body hit the bones of Elisha, miracle number 16 came about. He was raised from the dead, and he lived. Amen? That, that is so cool. I love that. Um, I probably just burned a lot of time that I need, but that's good to know, isn't it? That's good to know. So where we're going to start out here in 2 Kings chapter 13 is the last moments of Elisha's life before he died. And so that's where we're going to pick it up. This King Jehoash, which was the king of Israel, came in who loved and respected Elisha and knew that he was going to die. And, and so he came to see Elisha. Now look at this here. 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14. That's where we're going to start. 
It says, when Elisha was in his last illness, in other words, he, was, he got sick and he's living out his last days. When he was in his last illness, King Jehoash of Israel visited him and wept over him and said to him, my father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. Sound familiar? Verse 15, Elisha told him, get a bow and some arrows. And the king did as he, as he was told. Elisha told him, put your hand on the bow. And when he did, Elisha laid his own hands on the king's hands. Then he commanded, open the, east, open the eastern window. And he opened it. And then he said, shoot. Not that he forgot something, but he's telling him to send an arrow out there. He said, shoot. So he shot an arrow, and Elisha proclaimed, This is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over Aram. For you will completely conquer the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, Pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. So the king picked them up, and he struck the ground three times. But the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times, he exclaimed. Then you would have beaten Aram until it was entirely destroyed. Now you'll be victorious only three times. Then Elisha died and was buried. I mean, how would you like to be that king? He loved Elisha. He wasn't there to get in trouble. But when he didn't hit the arrows on the ground more than three times, it ticked off Elisha. I mean, this, this guy, you know, in, in marriage, you're not supposed to go to bed angry. I don't think you should die angry either. <laughs> but, but Elisha died angry at this, at this king for not doing what he could have done. There's a couple of things that stand out to me in the scripture is that Joash, uh, Jehoash must have heard the story of Elijah and Elisha many times because he's there. He, he's there with Elisha and he says, my father, my father, the chariots of the Lord are coming to get you. He must have heard that story. Do you, do, you, do you understand? Do you get it? He, he must have heard that story. He must have relished that moment because, you know, he was there at the last, at the last moment. I remember um, my, my spiritual father is a guy named Glenn Smith. And I remember in 2007, we were in a conference in a meeting together in Denver. And um, I looked across the table at my spiritual father as he was talking. And I heard the Lord speak to me and say, He's not got much longer on this earth, and I want you to be there when he dies. Because I have a mantle that I want you to pick up. I have a cloak that, in the spirit that I want you to pick up. And so when my spiritual father was in the hospital in, at, uh, in Dallas, um, I knew that, that, that this, it's coming down. You know, I... I I'm sure that this King Jehoash probably felt the same way that I did because I, I knew I knew that God was telling me, I want you to pick up his mantle as an apostle and I want you to do, finish his job. And I said, just give me a double portion, God. 
And so, um, so I was there. I, I was there when he passed. And um, uh, symbolically, I, I bent down at the, the bedside and I picked up his mantle. And I think what this guy, what this King Jehoash is doing here is he's heard that story so many times. He wanted that mantle that was on Elisha, that was on Elijah. You see what I'm saying? I believe that he, he wanted that. He's looking, this, this King Jehoash is looking for a prophetic encounter with God, with the Spirit of God that was on Elisha. He's looking for this prophetic encounter. He wants this encounter to empower him to, to be the king that God has called him to be. The greatness that was on the inside of Jehoash, he was wanting it, he was wanting the anointing to carry him into that same prophetic encounter that was on the prophet Elisha. Man, I'm trying. So he's looking for that prophetic account, encounter, and Elisha told him, take a bow and some arrows. Get your hand on the bow and open the east window. And when he put his hand on that bow, Elisha then put his hands on the king's hands. And when he shot that arrow, that was a symbolic uh, um, recognition of we're taking the land back. The land that Aram, uh, the, the, the Arameans had taken away from Israel, now he's wanting, he's setting, he's putting his arrow in the dirt saying, we're going to recover this land from our enemies. And so he did it. And that was that prophetic encounter that he was looking for. He was, he was, you know, God believed, God believed in Joe, uh, Joe, Jehoash. How would you like that name? Jehoash. <clears throat> God had confidence in Jehoash for the battle to come, to recover the land that was taken from them in battle. God, God had confidence. But in, in verse 18 there, when, uh, when he struck the ground with those arrows, he only did it three times. And I don't know if he is saying, you know, by doing that, well, you know, uh, Elisha got a double portion. I'm going to go three. Thinking it was enough. And, and Elisha says, don't sell yourself so short. Don't sell out. Don't make a mistake that you may not have confidence in what God has given you, but God has more confidence in you, and you should have struck the ground five or six times. The, 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 the world is in the palm of your hands, Je Jehoash. The world is in your hands, and, and you are limiting yourself by only striking the ground three times. Jehoash, you limited the victory that God has for you. How many times do we limit the victory that God has for us? I mean, I mean, we, we can come, you know, we're all holy here in church, you know. We all come into church and say, yeah, you know, God's fighting. That's how I fight my battles. You know, we sing, that's how I fight my battles. Because we have so much confidence in God. But we leave here and we go, well, maybe. You know? The greatness, the greatness of God on the inside of me, I really need that to come out because I really don't feel like it today. And how many times do we strike the arrows on the ground symbolically 
Not enough times. Not enough times. I heard this quote by a man named Benjamin E. Mays. He was a Baptist minister many years ago, but this is, this is what he said. He said, it's not failure, but low aim that is sin. It's not failure that is sin. It's our propensity to aim low. Rest on that for a minute. It's not failure. You know, failure is not sin. So many times we think, well, failure is sin. Failure is not sin. Living a life of low aim is. That's where we sin. That is where we sin is we aim low. Amen? This, this word sin in the Bible, you know, I know that there's not many preachers these days that talk about sin, you know, because when you talk about sin, you've got to talk about hell. You know? No, I don't believe that. I think when you talk about sin, you can talk about repentance. It's, it's not about going to hell. It's about going to on your knees before God and repenting. Amen? But, you know, sin, the word sin in the Greek is... Um, is an archery term. It's a term for archery, you know, bow and arrow. And, and when we aim low, we miss the mark of the bullseye. And that's what the, the definition of sin is in the Bible. It's missing the mark. It's missing the bullseye. Because when they would have archery tournaments back in the, the old days, uh, ancient times, that they would pull the arrow back and when they let it go, if they did not hit the bullseye, the judge on the other end, judging where the, where the arrow hit, he would go, sin. <laughs> not because this guy's got something, bad, something going on bad in his life. It's because he missed the mark. And any time that we miss the mark, any time we sell ourselves short, any time we live lower than the bullseye, it does not bring about the victory that we need. We cap the victory with our own limitations. See, being born into this earth, being born in this earth, we are born into slavery. We become a slave of space and time for the rest of our lives. Even I don't care how free you think you are. You are limited by space and time. That's why we need to be born again. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but that's why we need to be born again is because it brings us out of, out of the slavery to space and time. Everything that is on this earth, everything on this earth has an expiration date. You've got an expiration date. It's on the bottom of your foot. Everything has an expiration date. We're all going to die. Ain't nobody getting out of this thing alive. So do we live life with low aim and limit ourselves as to what God can do in our life? Because we are slaves to space and time. During that, during our lives, there is things that happen to us, every one of us. 
There's hurt that happens to us. Amen? People hurt you. Things hurt you. Um, stepping wrong in a hole will hurt you. You know what I mean? The, there's hurt. There's, there's things like hurt. There's things like loss. There's things like regret, being brokenhearted, unforgiveness. All of those things and so much more put us into a place as slaves to, to time and space. All of those things affect our living, our life. Christian or no Christian. It's those things, those negative things, the hurts, the loss, the regrets, the, 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 the people breaking your heart and, and all of those things. Those things drive on the inside of us a li- uh, the limitations of living a low life. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it says this. It says that he, God, chose us in him, Jesus, before the foundation of the world. God chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world. That, that is pre-Genesis. Pre-Genesis. God had already in his mind individually chosen you and equipped you with greatness on the inside of, of coming to him and being who he's called you to be. One of my friends says, he says, before God said, let there be light, he said, let there be you. Before he said, let there be light, he already had you on his mind. He already placed in you the greatness of who he is and the greatness of what your purpose is here on this earth. Are you with me? Before he said, let there be light, he said, let there be you. Man, that's a place right there to dip and run. It's funny, we went down to that, uh, or went up, I guess we went up to Columbus last week and said in that meeting, there were things going on in that thing. If I told you what, what, how God's spirit was moving through there, you'd go, uh-uh. But yeah, we saw people running. We saw people shaking. One night, the first night, my generator wasn't on. <laughs> and the first night, we're standing there in praise and worship, and I got my hands up in the air, and my hands are going like this, you know. And this guy behind me reaches up and goes, you can feel Jesus, can't you? I said, oh, yeah. I can feel Jesus. <laughs> That's how normal things were there. He didn't know that I had a diagnosis and, and there was tremors going on. I looked like I had the Spirit of the Lord on me and didn't even know it. But, uh, but anyways, I mean, y'all ought to jump and run on things like that. I just look normal there. <laughs> he created, God created each one of us with greatness on the inside of us. And, and that's the same things that was happening there in that, in that room with Elijah or Elisha and King Jehoash. Elisha wanted to see the greatness of who this king was. So much so that he laid his hands on his hands when he shot the arrow. And that he was angry whenever he didn't strike the arrow enough because he saw, he saw Jehoash selling himself short, limiting what God can do. 
I, I'm to the point now that if there's a there's a prophet in the midst or whatever, like my wife, if she tells me to do something, <laughs> which is all the time, I'm going to go over and above because I don't want her mad at me before we went to bed. See, the enemy's purpose, the devil's purpose on this earth is to leverage hurt, our hurt, our regret, our loss, our brokenheartedness, our unforgiveness. He wants to do, he wants us to get into that space in our head to where we sell ourselves short, to where we uh, never find or we sabotage the greatness that's on the inside of us. And, and he does it by causing us or, or giving us the uh, no confidence to therefore limit ourselves from the greatness of God that's on the inside of us. And when we limit ourselves and live life too low, we miss tomorrow. If we're going to cap ourselves today, we'll miss tomorrow. We'll miss the victory. We'll miss the victory that God has given us. God has given us the victory through his son Jesus. Low expectation today limits God's work in us tomorrow. The last words of Elisha to Jehoash <clears throat> expressed the fullness of, of Elijah's or Elisha's um, his love for God and his love for this king. It made him mad that the king limited himself and capped God's victory in his life. How many of us have done the same thing? Say this with me. I don't desire. Oh, come on. Say it like you mean it. I don't desire to live life and aim low. I'm not a low aimer. See, we have to learn to recognize the gift of today. Every day is a gift in your life. And we have got to recognize that every day we have been given a gift. And that gift is what we've been, the choices that we make during that day. Because... Every day, we have the opportunity to sow seeds. We all have seeds. We have seeds on the inside of us of influence. We have seeds of grace. We have seeds of forgiveness. We have seeds of our words. I heard many years ago, a guy named Kenneth Copeland said, you are the prophet of your own life. What you say today will come to pass tomorrow. So what kind of words are we saying? Are we, are we speaking God's word over our lives? Are, are we speaking his promises over our lives? Or are we saying things that cap God and the victory that he has for us tomorrow? Because God wants everything to do with launching us into the victory tomorrow. God has confidence in you. God has confidence in you even more than you have confidence in yourself. But his word gives us the authority 
to have confidence in who he's called us to be, to bring the greatness out of us. He placed the greatness in us. Now it's our job to bring the greatness out of us. And we can't do that by striking the arrows on the ground three times and limiting God to the victory that he's given us. We have to realize that. When when I was thinking about this, when when I was thinking about that we all have seeds to give, I thought about this guy named Johnny Appleseed. Did you all remember Johnny Appleseed, the story of Johnny Appleseed? He was a real dude. I didn't know that. I thought he was a made-up story. And as I, as I heard the story of Johnny Appleseed and read the story of John, Johnny Appleseed, he was, um, he was one of the greatest conservationists of his time. And he was born in 1774, and I think he died in 1860-something, 1840-something. But during his lifetime, he was a missionary. He was a missionary released from the church. Uh, I think he was the, the Baptist, kind of the start of the Baptist movement. Anyways, Johnny Appleseed was, he walked around everywhere taking these seeds of apples and planting them in places where apples didn't grow. He's responsible for bringing the apple as a fruit to Pennsylvania, Ohio, Illinois, Indiana, and West Virginia. He was responsible for that. Because what he did one day by planting a seed, 40 years later, that tree is a mature tree giving off the fruit that had never been there before. Who are you? What greatness on the inside of you are you planting that you may not see tomorrow, tomorrow, but you'll see it in the future and it's your victory that comes out. See, we were born as a slave to space and time. And as a slave to space and time, it limits our future unless we learn how to be born again. We have been given that gift of today in order to take us in tomorrow. When we're born into this earth and a slave to space and time, that's why we need to be born again. Because Jesus, he knew. God knew enough in him to put him on this earth because he knew, he knew what we would go through as human beings. He became human because he knew what we'd go through as human beings and that we, we, we had the opportunity to limit God in his victory for us. Jesus opened the door for victory in us. Does that make sense? That's why we need to be born again. Because we were born a slave. Now we find our true freedom when we are born again because what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus had the same temptation to limit himself as we do. When he was in the garden praying the night that they came and arrested him and took him to the cross, when he was there, he went to God three times. Three times. And he said... If it is your will that this cup pass from me, then let it be so. Nevertheless, I love that word. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. He lived above the limit 
to the point where he went to the cross and died and gave us his spirit, gave us the ability to be born again and free us from being a slave to space and time. So Jesus went to the cross, right? And he was resurrected from the dead, right? During the time that he was resurrected from the dead, this is so cool. Go to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. During the time that Jesus was resurrected, he was resurrected, we know, on a Sunday morning, right? He met up with the, uh, Mary in the garden. She saw that he had been resurrected, went back and told everybody, and they didn't believe her. Then the two guys walking the road to uh, Emmaus encountered Jesus. When they found out, when they finally realized it was him, the resurrected Jesus, they ran and told the disciples, and they didn't believe him. So the disciples went and locked themselves in a room. They locked themselves in a room for fear, fear that the authorities would come and get them because they walked with Jesus. I mean, they just killed Jesus on the cross, they thought. So they, they, they're in this room. They're locked in this room. Listen to this. This is Sunday night after the resurrection. John chapter 20, verse 19. It says here, That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid that the Jewish leaders, they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. I mean, what do you say to somebody when you just walk through a wall? I mean, the doors are locked, you know, and they walk, and Jesus walks through the wall and is standing there in front of him. He said, peace be still, because they were probably, uh, paranormal adventures. Jesus wasn't paranormal. He was resurrected. Amen. Let me, let me finish this out. Verse 20 says, as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. There was an empowerment that happened at that moment. But Jesus had to know. Jesus had to know that there are no limits for him to give the Holy Spirit to his kids, to his disciples. He walked through their limits. Their limits were that they had locked the doors and locked themselves in the room, and Jesus went right through it. Because you know why? Jesus is the door. You, you don't, you don't, I'm going to preach over here. Um, <laughs> the way that Jesus got in there is he is the door. Amen. Jesus is the door. All right. He, he is not held back. He is not held back by limitations. The limitations that we have are not holding him back because when we have the power of the Holy Spirit, he brought the power of the Holy Spirit in there. He said, receive the Holy Spirit, and he breathed on them. <sighs> that is what spirit means in the Bible. 
spirit, the word spirit in the, uh, in the Greek is the Greek word pneuma. And pneuma means breath. And he grabbed them. He went to them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Take the limits off. Don't let your fear, don't let your hurt, don't let your unforgiveness, don't let any of those things limit you to what God wants to do for you tomorrow and whose life he wants you to influence tomorrow. Amen? Amen. See, they locked the, the door for fear. Fear was a limit to them. Jesus walked through their limit and he gave them what I call the deposit of the Holy Spirit. See, when we get born again, when we ask Jesus to come into our life, when we make that decision of, of being in the family of Jesus, when we have that ability, we get a deposit of the Holy Spirit. But in Acts chapter 2 came the baptism of the Holy Spirit that just increased the power that we have. At this point, Jesus had just give them, given them the Holy Spirit as an authority to go past the limits that we set on ourselves. He gave them the Holy Spirit. See, only Jesus can walk through the limits and awaken our greatness. Only Jesus. I think about great men and women, uh, great men and women who are in our society. I think about, you know, last night we, I watched the uh, Houston Astros beat the Phillies. Um, I watched that and I listened to the, you know, when they won that World Series, they, you know, they're interviewing all these people that were great players, the greatness on the inside of them. And, and I see that. I see that there's greatness that even people, I don't know if they never had an encounter with Jesus. They didn't talk about Jesus. They didn't, nobody said anything about Jesus. I'm sure there's Christians on the team, but they weren't expressing that. And I was thinking, you know, the greatness and the talent is on the inside of them to be able to play baseball and to play it great. There is greatness there. But there, how much more greatness is there if they give their lives to Jesus and let the Spirit of God come on the inside of them and, and take the limits off of what God wants to do in their lives and in their influence. He wants to, he wants to take the limits off. Only Jesus can walk through those things and, and bring out our greatness. And he's the one that supplies. He's the one that supplies our ability to not live a low life. Amen? When we're born again, the spirit of Jesus releases authority and power in our lives to walk above our limits. In Matthew chapter 10, and you all don't have to go over there, um, I'll, just, I'll just tell you what it says. And I know that you've, if you've read the Bible very much, you've probably read this or heard somebody talk about this. But in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus, it's, it's, they're about halfway through his ministry. So they're about a year and a half into his ministry. The disciples have been walking with him for a year and a half. They've seen some pretty incredible things that Jesus has done. And, and here in, in Matthew 10, and I think it's also in Mark chapter 6, but Jesus finally takes his disciples, his 12 disciples, and, and breaks them up into twos. So there's six groups of two, and he sent them out into, uh, into Israel for a few days in order to preach the gospel to people. 
Now, Jesus told them, when you go there, when, when you go out, I don't want you preaching to uh, the Gentiles, those who don't believe, that are not Jews. I don't want you preaching to Gentiles and telling them about me. And I, I don't want you to, to, to preach to um, the, the people that you're comfortable with. I want you to preach to the people that are children of Israel, but they don't have any faith. So where is he sending them? He's not sending them to the, to the synagogues to preach. He's not sending them to, um, to, the, to the temple to preach. He is sending them to the places and the, and the, uh, where, where, the, where the people hang out that are not very good. He's sending them to the ghettos, the, the, the dregs, the, 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 the place where um, people live with no hope. That's where he's sending them. And, and when he says that he, he sends them there, he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the authority to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the leper. And to cast out demons. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm sending you out there. You're going to be around the demon possessed. That ain't something we're doing today. I mean, how many demons are in here? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> he says, I'm giving you authority to, to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, and cast, and, and cast out demons. But he says, this is what I want you to do. I don't want you to take any luggage. I don't want you to take a change of clothes. I don't want you to take any food, and I don't want you to take any water. I don't want you to take anything, because those things are going to limit you to what you can do as the authority that I'm giving you. He said, I don't want you to, I don't want you to put limits on yourself. I don't want you to not preach to somebody because you stink because you hadn't had a shower in a few days and a change of clothes. I, 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 I don't want you to limit yourself with not having any money or food or water. I want you to totally, 100%, depend on God when you preach what I've given you. I don't want you to, I, I don't want you to limit yourself. They had to trust God. He said, I want you to preach the kingdom of heaven and how near it is to them. And in that, don't take any limits with you. Take the limits off. Take the limits off. I think that Jesus is saying the same thing to us today. In this message today, we need to recognize the limits that we put on God. We need to recognize that we've been slamming the arrows only three times, and we need to slam it five or six times. We need to live beyond the limits. Now, I know we're in this natural body, we're slaves to space and time. There's, there's time, but we need to leverage the time and the space that we've been given with the Spirit of God instead of the Spirit of who we are. We need to pick up His Spirit, allow His Spirit to operate through us. To, to I don't know how else to say it, but to heal the sick, cleanse the leper, Raise the dead, cast out spirit, demons. Let's not, let's not put the limits on the victory. Amen? I think, I think when I say that, even for myself, yesterday, no, two days ago, I'm on the phone with Pastor Greg. 
I'm, I'm talking to him on the phone. And I had just went out before he called. I went out and I put bird seed in my bird feeders because there wasn't no birds around. I'd let it go for a couple of days and there wasn't no birds around. Well, I, I put the bird seed in, got on the phone with Pastor Greg. And, and as we're talking, I, I got my back to the door and I heard this boom. And I looked out and there's a little blue jay laying. He hit my window. It killed him dead. I mean, he's dead. I'm on the phone with Greg, and I'm like, little guy, are you going to get up? You know, and I didn't say it out loud. But this, this bird is doing the chicken, you know. He's laying there, and he's, he's dying. So I got off the phone with Greg, and I went back out there. My dogs were, like, sniffing all around it and stuff. So I, I go out there, and I pick the bird up, and I put it in my hands. And I prayed over it. I said, God, I love my blue jays. They're, they're mean and nasty, but, but I, I, they're pretty, you know, and I, I love my blue jays. And I, I picked that blue jay up, and I just began, I laid hands on him and began to pray over him. And God, bring him back. And he didn't come back. <laughs> I know, it's funny. He didn't come back. And, and my heart, you know, it's just heavy. And when he didn't come back alive, I said, God, teach me. Teach me. Because to raise the dead, you've got to have dead to raise. I don't like dead. I don't like to be around dead people. I don't like to be around dead things. But if we're going to raise the dead, we've got to, we've got to be around dead things. If we're going to cleanse the leper, we've got to... See, in the Old Testament... You couldn't touch a leper because what he had might get on you. But in the New Testament, Jesus said cleanse the leper. That means we've got to get our hands on them because what we have, they need. So let's get, let's, let's get our stuff on them. That makes sense? But the thing about it is, is we need to take our limits off. We need to recognize our limits. Right? Come on up and pray, play for me, bud. Imagine, just imagine, and this last thing I'm going to say here. Imagine what the American church would look like if we, when, when we pray for revival, when we pray for restoration, when we pray for renewal, what would the American church look like if when we pray for revival, through the filter of removing our limits, what would it look like when we take the limits off and we pray for revival? Uh, praying for revival is a big thing. I mean, we can all pray for revival. We just need you to revive us. We need you to, to, to miracle signs and wonders. It's something I've understood for a while in God teaching me. That if we're praying for miracles, we've got to have miracle need to pray for miracles got to have people dying around us. We've got to have people demon-possessed around us. We've got to have people that are sick around us. We've got to have people that are unclean around us. Yet we all come to our places where we feel safe. We feel like there's safe people to be around. And I love church, and I love you, and I love what you represent, and I love that y'all are clean. You know? You didn't take a shower before you come to church. Man, I love it. 
But when we leave this place, are we putting ourselves in a place of uncomfortable, un, being uncomfortable? Are we going to the drug addicts? Are we going to the hospitals? I loved, I loved when Nick preached the other day, and he said I was in that, you know, uh, hospital down in Houston, and I started praying, and the hospital started emptying. People were beginning to leave and and vacate rooms. I love that. We've got to put ourselves in those situations. Well, if we put ourselves in those situations, are we limiting God? No, you're not limiting God. You're asking God to take the limits off. take off the hurt and the loss and the regret and the brokenheartedness and the unforgiveness and begin to forgive, to begin to mend our broken hearts. Jesus, when his first sermon in Luke chapter four, he says, I give you the power to bind up the brokenhearted. We need to lay aside our living life in Loang. We can't allow sin in our lives anymore. Amen. I'm with you. I'm I'm with you on it, man. I'm 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 a big old sinner sometimes. If I don't keep myself in check, if I don't lay that down every day, if I don't put myself in a position to put God in the middle of everything that I do, I'm gonna sin. Because I ain't perfect. I think that's why y'all like coming here. Because I ain't perfect. put aside the disgust with lost humanity. We need to put aside the disgust. I heard a minister say this one time. He says, you can only minister so far to your disgust. You cannot minister beyond your line of disgust. So if society disgusts you, if if homosexuality disgusts you, if if, if, uh, pronouns disgust you, if, if the blue side disgusts you, if the red side disgusts you, you can't minister to them until we lay our disgust down with humanity. When, we don't, when we're not disgusted by it now, we can put God's love into it. Because we are embedded with the love of God as a Christian. She's on the other side of that TV screen, so she. I, I can do it. I can tell on her. But she was she was praying, or she found herself wanting to pray for one of our leaders in government. And God said, "When you remove your disgust for that person, then you can pray for her." God loves, to love like the Father loves. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Guys, we can't wait for people to change their lifestyle to give them Jesus, because it's going to take Jesus to, to, to speak into their lifestyle. 
See, this is what shooting the arrow into the ground means. We're taking back our land. We're taking back those things that that we've allowed. And the only way that we can take back the land is to take the limits off of who we think we are. Amen? If you all would, would you stand on your feet? This is not something that we usually do at the end of service, but I'm, I want you to stand up. I want you to, to, to take a stand right now. And what I want to do, I think through this, through this message today, I think maybe you've seen some of your limits. I've seen some of mine. Just putting this message together, I saw some of mine, and they are ugly. you to just as uh, just reflect back on what we've talked about today and, and what I want you to do is I want you to recognize the limits that maybe you have we all got them but as we remove them it takes us into the next place it takes us into the next victory amen it takes us into the next victory and I want as you think about your limits I want you to elevate your future Taking off the limits is going to elevate your future. And I want you to let your greatness begin to rise up on the inside of you. God made you great. So as you're standing on your feet and as you're making a stand, the Bible says that having done all to stand, stand therefore. Stand. So as you're standing there and you're recognizing some of those limits you may put up on yourself right now, I want you to just close your eyes, put your hands on your belly. And I want you just to just to say, God, elevate me. Just God, elevate me. Elevate me. Remove, help me to remove my limits and elevate me, God. Maybe you're standing here today and you're, you're doing what I've asked you to do, but you haven't entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, Jesus never wanted us to to um, make big moves. He didn't want us to, to uh, walk an aisle, to pray a prayer, to, 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 to be noticed. He wants you to be noticed by him in the beginning. And he, he said to his disciples, he said, would you come and follow me? So if you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never entered into a relationship with him today, I want you to say yes to him. He's, he's locking eyes with you. Just like we sang a while ago. When I lock eyes with you, he's locking eyes with you. And he's saying, will you come and follow me? See, limits in that, in, that, in that area, limits will say, you know, God, I don't know what that looks like to follow you. No, we don't know what it looks like to follow him. But if you'll say yes to him, he'll give you the ability to see. He'll give you the ability to see. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name today, and I thank you, God, for the opportunity to get to stand with this congregation, God, to stand as a congregation together, unified today, to say, God, take the limits off. Help me to recognize the limits that I've put upon my life, that I've put upon our relationship, to put up, that I've put upon uh, going forward in my future with strength, with honor, victory. Father, today, I thank you for these people that are standing, these people that got their hand on their gut. Right now, Father, I pray that there would be a fresh fire.
fresh fire come through their hands, that you're touching them. As Elisha touched the hands of, of Jehoash on the bow and arrow, I pray, God, as they have put their hands on their bellies, I pray that you would put your hands on their hands and release them to take the land back, to bring revival and to bring the place of no limits. And when we step into no limitation, God, I thank you that we take the land back. Thank you for that prophetic uh, encounter with you. Now, just in your mind, I want you to see your hands on that bow and arrow and God's hands on your hands. Pull back that arrow. Let it go. Let it go. Thank you, Father. There's some of you that right now that you've got your hands on your belly and you can feel a heat, you can feel a fire, you can feel a vibration maybe. God is bringing healing to you. You've gotten news this week or you you know that you know that you know that there's something going on on the inside of your body and God is saying, I'm healing that. I am healing that. I am removing that from you. I am canceling every assignment that the enemy has against you through sickness and disease. I'm canceling it all out. I'm removing the limits and you shall walk free and saved. In Jesus' name. that today.